Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and this week we have Destination Trail Races race director, Candice Burt, and she's put on a couple of tiny, tiny races that you might have heard of called the Tahoe 200 mile race where you literally just run a giant and giant's not even a big enough word you run a 200 mile gargantuan there we go that's a good word gargantuan loop around lake tahoe she puts that one on then she organizes directs manages the bigfoot 200 which is a point-to-point race in washington which starts by Mount St. Helens, and then you go, once again, 200 miles (laughs) nonstop to the finish line, Uh, and then she's recently uh, put together a trail in Moab for the Moab 200, though it's really 234 miles, because at that point, you're like, what's what's 34 more miles, (laughs) but uh, but yeah, so really interesting conversation we talked about all of the uh highs and lows um the challenges in organizing these events um how to kind of be aware of what could go wrong and what what will you do to prevent it and then we also talk about the what would be in my opinion the really fun part of putting together these races which is coming up with the route exploring trails um spending weeks and weeks out in the wilderness figuring out what trails connect what trails are actually there and so on and so forth uh candace was really awesome she was funny thoughtful um just really really cool i don't know like i feel like cool is just a cop-out word (laughs) when you can't think of like more when you don't have a good vocabulary (laughs) But she was super cool so and super awesome. So anyways, um, I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. If you do really like this one and you're looking for more tips or advice about racing a 200-mile race, I would really suggest that you listen to episode number 13 of the Like a Bigfoot podcast with Melissa Sinclair, um, which is all about the time her and her husband finished the Tahoe 200 and what they did to train for it and all that fun stuff. Also, you guys can support us by going to iTunes, subscribing, um, reviewing us, giving us a ranking. Uh, That would be awesome. It would help us out a lot, kind of get more ears on the podcast. So that would be much appreciated. Other than that, you can find all of our Like a Bigfoot stuff just by typing in like a Bigfoot and finding all that on all the social media stuff. All right. (laughs) Promotion part out of the way. Let's get into our conversation with who was jokingly known as the most masochistic race director and who I accidentally called Kansas when we first started talking. And then I felt like a complete idiot afterwards. (laughs) But let's get right into it. Uh, like a Bigfoot, number 37, Candace Burt. 
<laughs> so I was reading your blog today, which is really good. And the fact that you have like time to keep up a blog, like with pretty like consistent postings is pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> but I was reading about this concept that you mentioned and I thought it was really great. And it's the idea of fun number one versus fun number two. So I thought that'd be a good place to kind of start. Yeah, definitely. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) So can you kind of explain, yeah, explain the difference between the two. All right. Let me, let me, it's been a while since I wrote that. I believe fun number one is just the regular fun where you're, you're out with your friends around a campfire, maybe having a beer and there's not necessarily a lot of adventure involved um, and certainly not really any discomfort. And number two is not so much fun at the time because you're going through discomfort like you would on an adventure, for example. Yeah. Um, but then later looking back, you're like, oh, that was so great. <laughs> Even though during, <laughs> during it, you're, you're complaining and in pain and suffering um, it's enjoyable, uh, you know, in the future. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what, I love that idea because once you have fun number two, like you've exposed yourself to that and you just, you just crave it. And I know for me, like I always have to have some sort of event coming up where, and I'm sure it gets on my friend's nerves, you know, where I'm like, let's go camp in the middle of the woods. Like, in a rainstorm or doing a do an ultra race or something and they're probably like why don't we just like get a hotel and you know relax <laughs> yeah your idea of, uh, of fun has changed and it's almost like you have to keep getting you have to keep upping the ante a little bit to sort of get that same satisfaction i think um or at least i i feel that way um to some degree yeah yeah well of course you do because you have started <laughs> the first 200 mile races is it the is are these the first ones in the US or like the first loop courses or point to point ones that's a really good question cuz i think a lot of people are confused we claim that that Um, where I claim that I created the first 200-mile non-repetitive races in the United States. And and so there is a difference. There have been, been like, loop courses where it might be 10, 20-mile loops or, or, you know, 15-mile loops, and then runners will do the 100-mile version of that or the 200-mile version or 150-mile version. And those kind of races have been around um, for a while anyway. Uh, not very many, but there are some out there. Yeah. Um, and then there are some, like, 50-mile races. Um, I'm thinking of uh, the Adidarod. I think there's a 350-mile option you can do by foot. Um, but, but yeah, um, so the Tahoe 200 was the first non-repetitive. So it's one 205 mile loop and the only repetitive parts there's a few sections where you might have to go down a trail a little ways to an aid station then you'll go back up that trail and get back on your yeah so it's we don't really count that as being repetitive but it's sometimes necessary for aid station location yeah and then the bigfoot one is point to point which is my personal favorite type of race i mean loops would be pretty much kind of the same general idea where you're just not repeating anything but point to point like you start in one spot 
and you end 200 miles away. <laughs> yeah, it's much more massive in in scale, really, and um, and the logistics of organizing or having your crew come out and crew you is so much more complicated. So in some ways, it's amazing, you know, for the runner who gets to see 200 and some miles of this original terrain. Um, but your crew might not be so pleased when they have to drive 500 miles to crew you. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, a which, really good you know, point that I wouldn't have even thought of. Yeah. Right. And then you need to ride the bus to the start point, um, or get a ride there. So again, it's, there are some disadvantages to a point to point course, but once you get started, yeah. you can let all that, you know, fall away and enjoy the fact that you're really traversing that distance pretty amazing that is amazing so how did you how did you even get started in this craziness of ultra running or, <laughs> or like adventuring in general um i i think it just was always something that that's been a part of my life you know whether when i was a kid i was riding horses and climbing trees and breaking my arm and you know just doing things that a lot of kids weren't doing playing outside all day yeah um yeah, and our parents would let us be out at night without lights and just playing in the woods. So I had I had a lot more freedom maybe than some kids do, or maybe it was, you know, it was in the 80s, so um, yeah. maybe it was that generation. And um, But in terms of, like, ultra running, I got into ultra running in 2010, and um, when I started volunteering uh, at the end of that year, I really realized, like, this the, the race management thing was something that I, I thought I was good at and I enjoyed. And so um, I ended up creating a series in Belgium. Um, it, was, it was based on having volunteered and seeing what went into the organization of the races. So it was more that I felt like I was an organized, detail-oriented person to be able to, um, to do it on my own. Um, yeah, and, and sort of from there, I went to, I just had this, this dream of, of this race around Lake Tahoe, and I didn't know how far it was going to be um, until I actually sat down with maps and planned out a route that I knew should be able to be permitted. And when I did that, I was like, well, it's going to be a 200-mile race. <laughs> did you think anyone was going to sign up for it? I really didn't know. I mean, a part of me was like, this is going to be the most amazing race ever because, you know, it's, it, it just is going to go along the, the rim of these mountains through some of the most amazing areas. So I thought, like, who wouldn't want to do it? But then I thought, that's a really far distance for most people. Yeah, yeah. Is anybody going to actually sign up for it? And then we sort of, when we came up with, we is um i was working with uh my boyfriend at the time to come up with some details and i was like you know i don't know if people are going to be willing to pay what it's going to cost us to organize this kind of a massive event so we sort of had we had a whole bunch of things that were like had to fall into place for the event to to even happen yeah and um and then and then we just had we when when i announced it the response was intense and it was just huge because it blew people's mind a little bit like and who is this girl trying to organize <laughs> so wait this was your first race that you organized 
No, I had, um, I also organized um, marathons and half marathons. So okay. the reason people were, were in doubt was because it was like, <laughs> well, you're going to organize a four-day event and, <laughs> and you've only done a one-day event. Like, what is she thinking? Yeah. Um, but I knew I could do it. You know, I, I looked at Tour de Giants, um in Italy and sort of to see what they would do for sleep stations and like all these different things. Yeah. Did you call people um, like affiliated with races like that? No, um, I did not. Uh, I did talk to some other like local race directors and, um, and tried to get people on, on my team, um, for organizing this event who could help with things that I might not be as good at. So we got a medical director and volunteer coordinator because we knew we'd have to possibly have hundreds of volunteers. Um, yeah. And it was just, it was just a massive undertaking. I was stressed out all year. (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, so it's interesting to me. So like your first ultra marathon you participated in, you instantly like came up with the dream of designing your own race? Like, um, no, it, it was more, um, once I started volunteering for races, oh, okay. um, then I started, yeah, then I started looking at it in a different light, you know, like, um, more in terms of, I was doing, I didn't, uh, massage therapy at the time and I knew I wanted something, um, that allowed me more creativity and uh, an ability to go out, you know, in the mountains that I love, not just be stuck in an office. Yeah. So it was sort of looking for something too at the same time. Um, and then it really wasn't till, um, till I introduced the Tahoe 200 though, that I realized I was going to have to do it full time because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have time for anything else. Yeah. Wow. So what were some, I guess, what was, what's your favorite part about designing a race? First of all, I mean, I, for me, I'm trying to imagine like if I was in your shoes, I would love the whole figuring out the route portion of it. Um, yeah, yeah. You spot on. Yeah. That's it. The route is really <laughs> fun. Um, <laughs> well, the, the best part, um, there's a few really great parts. Um, there's some that aren't so much fun, but, um, <laughs> One is getting, once you have the course figured out, going out and measuring it um, by hand because you have to make sure each distance is as accurate as possible yeah. in distance, elevation, gain, and loss. Because you don't want your runners getting out there and being like, oh, this section's three miles longer than you said or yeah. something like that. And then there were, with every 200-miler I've created, when I first come up with it, I come up with it on the computer and and with maps and you just don't know like are these trails going to actually be there or are they not maintained and maybe they don't exist anymore so there there were times when i'd be out scouting where i wasn't sure if i was gonna you know end up where i hoped to be and and i did most of scouting solo except for the moab 200 so yeah it was it was a little scary but that it was a fun way to (laughs) to adventure you know at the same time um but yeah, that that that's one of my favorite parts. And then um, when we get to go out for the races and mark the courses, um, that's really fun too. We get a crew together, and um, you know we carry these heavy packs. And then 
and then the driving crew meets us and you know they have beer and avocados and <laughs> burgers and it's just yeah. really fun how long so does fun. it take to mark a 200 mile course oh boy that's a good question um it varies i would say if we have two groups out marking we can do 10 to 20 miles a day but usually even when we're running between marking sec- sections and stuff we're we're not moving much faster than two to three miles an hour so yeah you know it, it can be 10 to 15 to 18 hour days out on the trail wow. um it's usually around a week and a half to two weeks of marking Okay. Um, two weeks is a good estimate. See, yeah. all that it's stuff, very... that, yeah, that portion of it sounds super fun to me because you're just hanging out with your friends in the woods, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, people don't realize, too, though, it's really fun, but it's stressful because you're hoping you put things in the right place oh, so yeah. that, you know, people will see the arrows and that nobody will mess with them and, um yeah, and you're just you're trying to be respectful to other users while you're out there. Um, at, yeah, so it's there yeah. is a certain amount of stress. At, <laughs> or at the same time, you like, the wrong trail. Yeah, like, do you worry about just like some jackass coming along taking down the markings at all? Con- constantly, constantly. <laughs> yeah, we've we've been trying to come up with ways to mitigate that, and one one thing we've been doing that seems to help be helping. We put up a lot of trailhead signs, um, so anywhere that a trail comes in and intersects with our course, we'll have a sign that says, here's what's going on, here are the dates of the event, it's permitted, don't mess with the markers, basically. Yeah. Um, and that really helps, because people, at least they're not like, what? what's this garbage doing out here? Yeah, seriously. You just get um, a picture of like an angry Bigfoot like staring them down or something. Yeah. yeah, that would be great. That'd be good. Yeah, because I mean, those markings have to be up for a week beforehand for in some areas. Oh yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, two weeks, two, two weeks. sometimes they're up. So it's really and and we feel we wish that could be a shorter amount of time, but um, we have to stop marking the Monday before the race. The race starts on a Friday or the Tuesday before, um, because we've got a lot of things to organize at headquarters, all the race supplies, like hard supplies, like generators, tables, chairs, stoves. And then we have all the shopping, um, which is usually, um, several massive Costco, Walmart, you know, (laughs) grocery store trips. Yeah. (laughs) This year we're going to have to get deliveries. Oh yeah. So you, you own destination trail. How many people work for you at this company? Um, I have four people who work for me throughout the year. Um, and on sort of a part-time to full-time basis, depending on their job and, you know, it's sort of the hours can vary. Yeah. And then, um, during, during an event, we also need to hire, um, another, five to eight people um, in addition to those four people um, because, you know, it, it's like if you have a one-day event, you can ask all your friends and their friends to come out and help you. Yeah. <laughs> when, when they have to be out for like uh, eight to 12 days, you know, it starts to, they'll help you once, but then, you know, you have to start paying for their travel and that makes sense that kind of thing so yeah it's like when you borrow your friends when you borrow your friend's truck to help you move like you can only do that once really (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before they start thinking you're you're using them. Exactly. That's why yeah, I guess you we, shouldn't we move all a, the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We have certain specialized positions that, you know, sort of call for paying the person, the medical director and that kind of thing, when yeah. people have a certain amount of experience that makes sense. and responsibility. How many aid stations do you usually, like how, how many aid stations do you usually have? And then how do you determine kind of the spacing between them? I've always wondered that about an ultra race. How do you determine yeah. how far you go? Well, um, for a 200 miler, we look at what can we provide? Um, because if you say an aid station is going to be there, it better be there, um, in the way that you, you said it would be. So we, we look at, um, what can we guarantee that we can have out there? So we do have fewer aid stations than per mile than like, a, a 50 miler or, um, even some hundred milers. We'll have them an average, I think it's an average of like 12 or 13 miles apart, okay. but some are 20 miles and some are seven miles. And really what, what we do is we look at what can we get permitted. Um, so a lot of it has to do with, um, one, is there enough parking for everybody? Is there um, water or electricity? That's always a plus, but often it's not never there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, you, you just have to have enough space for the aid station, and, and you can't take up all, all the, um, the room on location because um, the permitting agency that you have to work with is going to want to make sure that other trail users can get in there and park and use that space as well. Yeah. So we sort of have to look at a variety of things. So sometimes a spot that we think is great, you know, doesn't work out for permitting and that can, um, access is really important for emergency vehicles. If, if we don't have access, we have to explain how we're going to get access because <laughs> we have had hiking stations, you know, so and those are, um, diff very difficult to, to manage. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, I mean, I guess like the biggest fear would have to be losing someone on the course. <laughs> I have to imagine Yeah. how, I mean, I yeah. guess, you know, a good, a good course marking system really helps with that. But I mean, have you ever come across that situation where someone's gotten lost or you've had to send people out to find them? Yes. Um, yes, we have. That would be t um, like, that we, would be very it, stressful. <laughs> so good on you for being is, able to handle stress. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, for us, um, we've definitely learned that you have to have a plan in place for when or if that happens. And then, um, and one way that we deal with, with um, that now is we have we require everybody to have a spot or Delorme tracker on them, and we hook that up to a map, and everybody gets put on that map um, through software. Oh, that's so really basically, cool. Uh, yeah, so assuming everybody's devices work the whole time, um, or that the lost person's device works, we can tell where people are at any given point in the race. And so we've had um, instances where somebody was clearly going off course and then we can look up their phone number, give them a call, let them know yeah. they're going the wrong way. <laughs> now you don't always have reception for that. Um, but at, at Tahoe that happened, um, 
with two individuals and I was able to talk to them on the phone. Um, I know the courses so well too. I'm like, and by that rock with the, Oh, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, Oh, there it is. Wow. That's so Um, crazy. Yeah. So, so when, when we're, um, worried about somebody or, or we might get, we had a situation last year at Bigfoot where a hiker called us because, um, one of our international runners was like, he was worried about them and they appeared to be lost and sick and um and this person couldn't speak much english so um we we worked with trying to talk to the hiker and the person and figure out what was best and we got them back um the hikers were nice enough to walk stay with them until somebody was able to come up from the aid station and then basically pace them back and make sure they're okay but he just had a really upset stomach yeah and um yeah, and so he got back, but you know, we've we've called search and rescue in the past to let them know there could be an issue um to be on alert and then once, you know, if we resolve it within a short amount of time, we call them off and if we don't, we've never had to have them actually come out luckily, but um it's it's definitely a possibility in a Hopefully with the spot trackers, it won't happen. Yeah, definitely. Does, does the spot trackers, is that a way, like if someone was interested in kind of follow, like the thing about ultra running is if you're a fan of the sport, it's literally impossible the day of the race to really get updates, you know, except if you're on Twitter or something, but is that a way, like, is there, does it go online? You can actually like see where people are during the race. Yes. So on our page on the website, depending on which race you're wanting to track, you can go to that page and see that it's an interactive map. You can click on the person's bib number or look them up by name. And you can see, I mean, it's really cool. It's like, imagine a map, and then it has a a line that outlines the the entire course. And then you can see every number and where exactly (laughs) they are along that course. And so you can zoom in and see like, ooh, so-and-so is passing so-and-so. And it'll update. I think it updates every five minutes. So it's not yeah, um, that's instant, cool, though. but it's a lot faster than it is. People really, really love it. I'm, and I'm, then we also do. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm just imagining moms sitting at their computers for like 80 hours, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah. Just everyone's mom just it's freaking very out. Addictive. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and we get their messages. Oh, my son is off course. No, that that's just the spot tracker oh, when you're hilarious. in a canyon, it'll jump around a little and it's probably fine. They're not actually swimming in Lake Tahoe. <laughs> Your son is climbing around. the canyon right <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. funny. Exactly. And and we had we had a guy who got um he left the aids he had dropped out of the race um but he didn't give his tracker back to the aid station and then um they had <laughs> all slept in a little bit and then as they're closing down the aid station he's like no no actually i'm going and the aid station's like well the the sweepers already left they've already taken the markers down so there's nothing for you to follow he's like oh i'm fine i i have a map and <laughs> and they couldn't really stop him so he takes off and so he's on the tracker map and it turns out it's just this it's 
a story I should write about sometime. It was pretty pretty funny because he ended up being fine, but he he went back and forth and down every trail in that area. We kept trying oh, no. to intercept him, and then he would turn a different way and go <laughs> <laughs> somewhere else. And we finally we finally got him, and and that was great. It was like. 10 hours later and um we'd been working on it all day and i got these messages from this woman she was just like i can't believe you've left this runner out there oh of course i was like oh you don't even know (laughs) yeah so it but it's good (laughs) i felt bad though yeah Yeah, it took it took a while to get him yeah what's uh that's why you gotta stay in one spot seriously i know that's right like that's actually like a wilderness survival tactic right yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're lost, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> What's uh I know people have like I've heard that people have crazy hallucinations. Uh mostly probably because of sleep deprival. Um have you heard Yeah. Like what's the craziest hallucination you heard of? Oh man, um there I can't remember the the exact story, but we we do have people we have an awards ceremony at Bigfoot, and we give out a bunch of Bigfoot items. So one of the awards, we thought people who have the best hallucination should come up and share their hallucination, and then we'll give the award to the one <laughs> we think best. <laughs> and, and there's some crazy stuff like that people really, really see. Um, and I think one case, a guy saw, like, all these, the trail was just all heads, you know, like all these human heads. And he's just freaking out, of course. Um, yeah, I've heard one runner at Bigfoot last year thought his pacer was trying trying to like kill him, and um, oh, no. and that that got dark quick. Oh, no. um, so yeah, it's, I mean it's unusual for people to to actually lose um, who they are, where they're at. You know, their, their yeah. usual mental state. Usually, it'll be like you'll see things. And they won't surprise you too much because uh, a part of you knows that you're tripping out, you know, due to lack of sleep and and probably an imbalance in calories. Um, but most people, when they when they eat enough, um, that really helps. I think sometimes people don't realize they're getting calories deprived, um, sugar deprived, and then with the sleep on top of that, yeah, you'll start you'll start to see things. Yeah. Wow. That's so, cause I have to imagine I've never, I've, my longest race is, was a, has been a 50 miler and I just, I did one a, about a month ago in Monument Valley, um, the Monument Valley ultra, which was beautiful. Oh, cool. um, it was, I think it was like ultra adventures. I don't know if you've done any of their races, but, yeah. but anyways, yeah, I did the Zion. Yeah. Oh, Zion. Oh man. So every race on their website, I'm like, I want to sign up for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're really well organized. They, too. they are. And it was like very well marked. But anyways, when I got finished, I like, I like legitimately could not imagine doing a hundred miler, let alone a 200 miler. Um, and you said you did, you did the 50. Yeah. The 50 mile. mile yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's something though. Um, have you done Have you done a marathon before? I've never done. Uh, I've never ran a road marathon. I've done the distance, obviously, like in training a bunch. In but training, I yeah. did one time. I, I I'm, a, I'm a teacher, so uh, I would I would go run after school every day. And so, anyways, I 
decided I wanted to do an after school marathon and I just put on a backpack and started running down these random roads, uh, which that was fun. So that was about my only, (laughs) only marathon. (laughs) So have you done like a shorter race than a 50 miler or is that your first race? Yeah, no, I've done a, I've done a handful of 50 Ks, um, mostly on the East coast because my wife and I lived in Virginia for a while. Uh, and then I did a 50 miler in Virginia, the mountain masochist. And then I just did the one in, uh, Monument Valley. So nice. Yeah. So when you, when you first did a 50 K, you probably couldn't imagine doing a 50 miler, you know, that's a great point. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of like that with the, the hundred, once you decide you want to do a hundred miles, it still seems like pretty outrageous, but, um, you know, your body just adapts like it does with anything. Once, once you decide on it, you know, and that's the hardest part is being like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then your body will just, and your training, um, ideally, will just fall into place. And um, I think a 200, though, is is really a different sport almost altogether if you compare it to, like, you know, ultra marathons or uh, basically, you know, acing over a marathon to 100 miles. And then when you start getting over 100 miles, it's like, yeah, it's a different sport. Um, and that's why I think some people really love it so much because it, it is sort of a new thing to tackle and learn and experience. Well, it's almost like the ultimate challenge for most people, I have to imagine. Um, yeah, and it's still within reach in terms of, you know, training really doesn't have to be that much more than you would do for a hundred miler, but you do want to, there are certain things you would do differently. And then, um, you know, people, most people can take a week off to come out to the race location, you know, possibly take the whole time, um, that we allow, which is four to four days to four and a half days. And then, um, a few days of recovery and <laughs> back to life. <laughs> How, how do you go about training for it then? What are the what are the things you would do differently to train for a two hundred miler? Um, generally, uh, to keep it really simple, um, you would you want to be really strong just overall your whole body. So the stronger that you are, um, in general, the the more your body's going to hold up over you know that amount of time. So I tell people too, I mean, your body can only handle so much running and so much buildup. It depends on you personally, what you can handle. Um, So you don't want to go too crazy on high mileage or, you know, lots of it and then get injured. Um, So I tell people, make sure you're really strong. Do a lot of um, cross training, things that you enjoy, um, strength-based stuff. Yoga is great. Um, And then you know, lots of back-to-back longer days are good, and you don't have to run the whole way. You know, you want to definitely work on your hiking as well because there'll be a certain amount of that um, strategically throughout a 200-miler. I mean, some people could hike the whole thing in a cutoff time without even, you know, actually running if if, um, if they didn't sleep a lot. So <laughs> you want to be able to have that ability, you know, to just, hike long distances because it is sort of a different um the different impact and and slightly different muscles than if you were running a lot but you also obviously want to run a lot and then um you know 50 miles 100 mile races are are fine training 
but you, again, you don't want to really race those hard because um, that can set you back recovery-wise, and they won't be as good for training purposes. So run them easy, and then yeah, just lots of lots of back-to-backs. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I gotta imagine it'd be really easy to overtrain. I think so. Yeah, especially people who are you know, a little, little more motivated. Um, they're going to possibly race too much or try to get their mileage up higher than they need. And, you know, if you get injured, you're, you're going to, you're going to be a lot worse off than a little bit under trained. Yeah. Um, I think, Yeah. yeah, I think like it probably has something, it would probably have something to do with, for me, it'd, it'd be the fear almost of a 200 miler. You would be so intimidated. I mean, I would be so intimidated by just that distance that you would feel like you would need to do so much every single day. And if you like missed a day, you would, you know, you're, you're not gonna be able to make it. Oh no, I missed a day of training. I'm not going to be able to finish 200 miles now, which isn't true, but it's just overcoming that that mindset, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and because the 200 mile distance is so new and sort of, um, I, I don't know so many people have questions about it, um, that we did, um, pair up with Jason Coop, um, who does the CTS training plans. And he came up with a specific training plan for that distance, um, which is like four months in length and, um, works on building up, you know, your whole cardiovascular, but then also, you know, for like the 200 mile distance, the, the back to back kinds of stuff, lots of time on your feet. Um, and, uh, yeah, just managing things without overdoing it. So I think, yeah, I think it's definitely an area of people are really curious about, um, and has a lot of potential for for growth. Yeah, definitely. I, I know you've mentioned fast packing. Can you kind of explain what that is, uh, as like a training method? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good one um, that I hadn't talked about yet. Um, backpacking um, is basically where you would put everything you need on on your in your pack, and then you know do anywhere from two to um, usually it's you know wouldn't be much more than four or five days because it's whatever you can carry on your back for those days, and you just go out and you run and maybe sleep a little bit on the trail and <laughs> and then run the next day. Um, but it's, yeah, it's sort of, it's a version of like hiking with it, you know, ultra runners in mind. And I just love doing that. I love going out and exploring that way. That's how I measured all the 200 mile courses. Um, well, the first two, the Tahoe 200 and the Bigfoot 200 put on a pack, (laughs) you know, brought like a, a little sleeping bag, a small tent, and then, you know, lots of food. (laughs) <laughs> three to four days that sounds really fun so where do you usually i mean do you go do you ever fast pack the same area twice or do you decide like this is going to be kind of a, a reason to explore a new area for me it's always a, uh, a reason to explore a new area um and and it was sort of out of necessity too with like Tahoe 200 and Bigfoot 200. I had to get the permits done, and so I had to have the information right away. And the quickest way to get that was for me to just go out and knock off 200 miles in, you know, 
four to six days um, if I could. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the way I've, I've fast packed a lot. And I just, I grew to like it, but it was sort of a necessity to, you know, if I want to get this race out there and available for next year, then I got to go out and get this done. <laughs> yeah. Were you, were you like kind of intimidated by it because you're headed out in the wilderness by yourself and I don't know, were you, were you used to like sleeping in the woods or is that, was that kind of a new thing you had to learn to be comfortable with? It, yeah, it was pretty new. Um, I mean, I, I slept in my car a lot, like driven to places, slept or through road tripping. Um, but when you're, when you're in like a little tent or a bivy sack out in the middle of nowhere, you know, you, <laughs> you definitely get a lot more scared than you would in your, in your vehicle Yeah, uh, where you can lock the doors and yes. um, be safe from animals. Yeah. Like so every sound in the middle covered... of the night is a bear. Basically you think it's a bear. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how terrifying <laughs> it would be at times. And just like, as it would be getting dark, I would start to feel the fear coming. And I knew that, you know, most in most cases I'd be totally fine and and whatever but there I mean there is a certain amount of danger being out somewhere nobody really knows exactly where you are or if something happens to you and I've seen I've I um I ran the Wonderland Trail in 2012 it was my first experience with that kind of I was trying to set um an FKT at the time and um so I was like oh I'll just run this 90 miles I've run 100 miles no problem yeah, yeah. you know around the mountain <laughs> and then and then I like at night came on and I was like oh that's so scary what if I see you know bear eyes or like yeah like, and then I did um, what was and, that around was is that around terrifying. Rainier or yeah okay. yeah Exactly. Oh, so, so you terrifying. saw. I was actually traumatized mount... after that. It was a mountain lion, or was it a bear? Uh, I saw. I saw. Uh, it's sort of complicated. I saw a bear. Okay. <laughs> and bears don't really care too much about you. And then I saw two mountain lions, um, of just a short while later, um, and that was definitely, definitely the most the scariest part and then um once i gotten up the mountain and the it was getting light again and i heard a rustling in the bushes and i look over and it's another bear and i i had like woken it up from some slumber or something and i sort of just automatically made this sound like i had made for the mountain lion because you're supposed to scare mountain lions away and i was like woo, you know just this <laughs> siren sound and the bear yeah. goes <laughs> he was just so angry that I'm making this horrible sound at him. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was suddenly like, oops. <laughs> I just backed away slowly. And, you know, it's funny because we're just, I think humans aren't really used to seeing wild animals anymore. I'm sure it used to be a little more common. Um, so getting used to that. But I think, you know, after those experiences, I knew that there were animals out there and, I guess I just sort of hoped I would be okay. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, so you're supposed to scare mountain lions. What's, what's the best way to scare a mountain lion? Um, well, what worked for me was, um, just making a really loud, obnoxious noise. I ended up, you know, the mountain lion just looked at me and this was in the dark. So, you know, I could see them, both of them with, with my headlamp and, um, 
And it, it just like, it seemed like it was like a minute, but it was probably like 10 seconds. It just stood there and stared at me. I'm like, this is not working. And yeah. then it slinked off. And I thought, well, what if it's still trailing me? So I made that noise all the way up the mountain. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and for hours. Yeah, it was, t- it was, it was really tiring. Um, so I would say, you know, you want to make a noise, you want to look bigger, um, than you actually are. So if there's any way you can do that, like um, take your backpack good. off and, and like hold it above your head or something. Yeah, that's probably not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, although that takes a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I tried to find like a stick that made me look bigger and then I worried that maybe it made me look like an elk or something and that might not be good. Yeah. Just don't <laughs> so, put the stick on your uh, head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think I just, and I really looked all around like the whole way up, but I think with mountain lions, um, generally if you see them, they're, they're not actually hunting you. Yeah. They're just checking you out. But if you don't see them, you probably, you probably never will if they're going to actually try to kill you. Um, and it's very unusual. I mean, it's probably not something we should really worry about out there. And I'm, I'm five foot eight, so I'm tall enough that, um, they'd be more apt to go after smaller individuals because usually most of the deaths um in the united states by mountain lions are children yeah yeah yeah. we we don't have a whole lot to worry about but it's still terrifying when you see them i'm sure wild well because you don't yeah you don't know what a wild animal is gonna do you know um no you don't you don't oh i was gonna say i would say though in a lot of ways they would be more predictable than um, a human being could be. So in a way I'd rather see, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I no, I have 100% agree with you. There's something creepy. Like, so when I go running, I have to go fairly early in the morning, uh, just cause I have kids and, you know, I don't want to take up a whole bunch of time in my day. And, you know, I prefer going on the trails and in the mountains and stuff. And it is, it's a whole different level of scary when, you have your headlamp on and all of a sudden you see like the outline of a person <laughs> and, and yeah, even creepier yeah. if they don't have a headlamp or anything, you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, exactly. I think, I think some humans are far more dangerous than, than animals, but, um, I also listen, probably listen to too many true crime podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. Did you listen to S Town just out of curiosity? Oh yeah, I've started it, but oh, I haven't. So... Um, I haven't finished. You know what? Uh, I'll probably finish that on my next road trip. Yeah. What? It. I. This just kind of defines how like simple of a man I am, but it hooked me in the first thirty seconds when I realized that S Town st- stood for shit town and i'm like oh i'm in <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. i was pleased to hear that too i was like oh this is gonna be interesting yeah i was like twist <laughs> number one shit town <laughs> um, yeah i totally didn't expect that <laughs> it's really good i really enjoyed it but uh but anyway so i saw on your website that you've you've uh ran hurt 100 quite a bit of times which is kind of known as one of the harder hundred mile races, uh, in the world. Can you kind of give us an idea of what that entails? Yeah. Um, well it is, um, 
It is in the jungle, um, basically the whole way, and it's pretty repetitive. So even though I'm a proponent of um, these non-repetitive courses, I enjoy going out there. It's just it's a really good mental challenge. And so you're you're under the canopy, pretty much the whole way. And people are like, oh, how much sunscreen do you have to use? Well, <laughs> you're you're under the canopy. So like, if you, as long as you're not, you know super, super Washington white, you know, you'd probably be okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the biggest challenge challenges that I've faced are you will sweat the entire time um, constantly because it's so humid and it doesn't even necessarily get that hot. So we're talking like 75 to 90 degrees, 90s on the high side for sure. So like 80s is pretty normal. Um, or 70s at night, I'm guessing. Okay. And um, and then it's just really technical and and, and constantly either up or downhill, um, lots of climbs. So you don't really get much of a break. And it is a, a strong runner who's like a really strong uphill hiker can do really well there because um, people end up going out, they start out too fast the first couple loops and then um, those the hills and the technical routes and everything just destroy them, and then you get to pass them on yeah. the third loop, <laughs> like five loops, twenty miles. Yeah, the picture uh, you always see is all the routes um, on the course. Yeah, so it's it. There's sections that are like that, um, and then there's rocky sections. But the thing that maybe people don't realize, or I didn't going into it, is everything just gets super slick. Um, at basically the dew point, so like at night and then in the morning. Um, so all throughout the night when you can't really <clears throat> see a lot of that technical stuff anyway, it gets all super slick. So you're just slipping and sliding. So the downhills become pretty treacherous, and I just I'll dread them, even though you know usually that's it's opposite. It's like oh no, yeah. here comes another uphill. <laughs> There, it's like, oh man, how many times am I gonna fall on this one? <laughs> um, so it's just super rocky sections where you'll be like climbing using your arms to really climb up over the rocks, or um, yeah, or or just lots of roots constantly. You you just you get so tired of looking down at your feet. Um, so it's but what's really fun about you know the community they have out there and the the folks who organize it are really cool and care about the race. So, yeah, I just, I, I find it, I really love going out. It feels like an important part of my year. Yeah. It's in Hawaii, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that it's doesn't, Oahu. that doesn't yeah. hurt either. The fact that you get like to go to Hawaii once a year, every so often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely a motivating factor. And then every time I go out for the race, I'm like, why don't I just go out to Hawaii without a race, you know? And, <laughs> Fun number one. You got to go with fun number two. It's way more, it's way better. Yeah. Um, yep. What's a, do you have any mental tricks when you're in the middle of like the Hurt 100 or a difficult ultra that you use to kind of ease the pain or help you through it? Yeah, I, I go back to, okay, how do I feel? How do I actually feel right now? And then breathe, you know, just breathe more deeply and calm yourself because a lot of times when we start to freak out or get overwhelmed we're we're just thinking too far ahead um you know like oh my gosh can i really do 40 more miles or 20 or you know two more miles 
instead it's just like, you know what, I'm okay right now, breathe in. And so it's about sort of slowing down the experience a little. And, um, and sometimes that means actually slowing down um, and listening to your body, whatever it might need. So when you get to that point where you need something extra, it's important to figure out what your body's asking for. It could just be, you know, more breathing. It could be you're getting dehydrated or, or you need some food. Um, so I try to check back in with myself. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I wanted to just thank you for, for chatting with me today. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I called you Kansas when we first started talking. That was a brain fart. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> that's totally fine. Um, no, I actually, I went and I wrote down your name so that I wouldn't forget as well. <laughs> so we're even. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. Awesome. Great. Uh, I think... I read this on your website, so tell me if this is true. You you've won the most masochistic race director for like three years in a row. <laughs> Do you found that on the Wild Defined? I think that was on... on. Maybe it was. Yeah, I think it was on Wild Defined or like your Facebook or something. I'm trying to remember where that was because I think it was based on a joke. <laughs> um, but man, I must have written that a, a while ago. But yeah, I've been told that so many times that um, I, you know, it's it's an award I hold proudly. <laughs> I, I think it would probably be one of the most honorable awards in ultra running. I have to imagine. Yes. Yeah. Most ma- anything masochistic and ultra running combined is like a proud badge of honor. Exactly. I think I think it is one of those traits we hold in high esteem, either by a race director or or a runner because uh, who runs the races because it, it's something I don't know. You've got to enjoy a certain level of discomfort that most people would never put up with. So it's, yeah. it's an important trait, and that's what allows us to actually become. Um, uh, stronger and more more powerful and just better in general at life, I believe. Definitely agreed. I think I think probably that statement right there would be kind of just a shared thought between the ultra running community in general. Um, and if you, I guess, if you're not feeling that way, I don't know if it's necessarily the sport that you should be partaking in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because there's a lot there's a lot easier things to do exactly. out there than than run for more than you know four hours straight. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Candice, and uh, I'll definitely be following the Bigfoot 200 and the Tahoe 200 and all that fun stuff. And then I saw on your website you had some other races that weren't 200 miles, so I was like, you know, I might be able to convince my wife to. Uh, Take a trip out to the Pacific Northwest and check some of those out. Yes, you should come out um, if you if you uh, do like like the roughly fifty mile distance. We have a forty miler and a hundred k at Mount St Helens in Ooh. Washington. It's in July, so it's going to be really. It's like the perfect time to be in Washington, and the forty mile circumnavigates Mount St Helens, <sighs> and that erupted in nineteen eighty. So it's like this otherworldly. It's just this crazy environment um, with this massive mountain. It's there's nothing like it, uh, and the 100k is point to point. Um, so we'll bust you out, and then you run these high ridge lines, and then come around and finish around the mountain as well. Oh, sweet, it's sweet! One I've of the most 
beautiful places in the world. It is. Me and my wife actually uh, climbed it um, in 2013, uh, which was really, really cool. Oh, cool. So you know. Yeah, we, we yeah. accidentally caused like a mini avalanche on it while we were glissading down it, which was kind of terrifying. But, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I'll, I definitely... So I'm looking for a race, not for this summer, uh, because this summer is kind of packed up, but next summer. So I will f- for sure keep that in mind. And maybe it'll be a good excuse for me to jump up to the 100K distance. Yeah. I mean, it's really not that much further than 50 miles, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> an addict speaking here. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. Well, you never know. Well, that's true. So you might be signing up for two hundred. Well, isn't your Moab race really like two hundred and thirty miles? Yes, <laughs> it is. And and you know, I've been wanting to, to have a forum to explain why we don't call it two hundred and thirty-four miles, why we still call it the Moab two hundred, because I know some people would like us <laughs> to call it what it is, but. Um, we do advertise very clearly the distance of the races, but I feel like with a race that's that long, you can just call it, it's a 200, <laughs> you know, 200 miler. And because, you know, with permitting from year to year, the mileage could change a little bit anyway. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have to keep changing the logo. That's... 234, 237, <laughs> 222, <laughs> you know. That's a so great just point. call it 200. Yeah. You should put like yeah. a greater than sign in front of the 200. I should, because it will always be more than 200 miles. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, when, they all are, actually. When's that race happening? Uh, it's October, and it's the 13th through the 17th. It's pretty much the best time of the year to be in Moab, because you can get really high up in the mountains. We get up uh, to almost 10,000 feet. It's not for a long time, but um, for long enough to see like some really cool views, and then um, you know, it's just the weather's perfect. You're, you're talking like 60s to 80s. Wow. You know? Yeah. It's really nice. And that area yeah. is just so unbelievably pretty. And there's so much to do there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your crew will be like, yeah, I'll go out there. <laughs> I'll come help. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. It's such a great, you know, if you're a mountain biker or, you know, you four by four or whatever, it's, it's just the paradise. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Well, well, thanks, Candice. And uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be following that for sure. And your what's your website again? Um, the the race website is destinationtrailrun.com. And then you can sort of find any of the races from there. We okay. have a bunch, a uh, bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much for having me on, Chris. Yeah. I appreciate it. And, Definitely. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll see you out on the trail sometime. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. All right, and that wraps up uh, another episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Huge thanks to Candice for coming on the show and chatting with us for a bit. I'm definitely, after talking to her, I was like, maybe I can do 200 miles. And I hope that you came away with maybe getting that idea planted too. (laughs) Uh, If you are listening to this and you are running one of her races this year, uh, whether that's Bigfoot, Tahoe, or Moab, or, you know, even some of her other ultras, but if you're running one of the big 200-mile races, good on you. Best of luck, man. That's, it still seems, it sounds and seems 
like such a crazy distance. But, you know, if you look at the stats for her races, I mean, it's like 70 some percent of people are finishing these. It's crazy. She's, I think, there we go. Bigfoot 200, 77% finisher rate. So it's not impossible. In fact, most people that are signed up for these races, they must be all in because they are finding success in them, which is super cool. So if you're signed up for one of her races, that's amazing. Please contact me after you finish. I want to hear all about it. And I hope you have like happy hallucinations versus scary heads on posts in the ground hallucinations. <laughs> so, cause you're going to have hallucinations, uh, you know, one way or the other in a 200 mile race, I got to imagine. So hopefully it's like teddy bears or like, you know, unicorns or, or things like that. Pizza, pizza delivery trucks in the middle of the woods. That would be kind of cool. Um, so yeah, good luck to you guys. I would love to hear about them. Uh, when you finish, Candice, good luck to you. Hopefully, all events go smoothly, as I'm sure they will, because you obviously are very prepared, very professional. Um, and you designed some, like, kick-ass courses. I don't know how else to say it. So, awesome. Thank you for chatting with me today. For the rest of the Like a Bigfoot archives, you can look on SoundCloud or please subscribe to uh to itunes um leave us a review if you guys like this outdoor stuff and you know adventure in the wilderness and climbing mountains and running long distances and just accomplishing giant goals that's kind of what we go for here <laughs> so so you can look back at all our old episodes and i'm i guarantee you there's something for you uh in our archives um, once again, that's like a Bigfoot. You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Next week, we will be joined by the creator and one of the stars of the Esquire TV show, Boundless, uh, Simon Donato. Uh, really cool guy, adventurer. Um, he started this company called Adventure Science, which is so cool. I'm a, I'm a huge science guy obviously, because I'm usually a science teacher. But the idea is pretty genius. He, he basically partners up scientists with wilderness endurance athletes um, with the idea that the athletes will be able to, you know, traverse some land that the scientists wouldn't necessarily be able to get to by themselves. Uh, super cool. You can check it out in his book, too. It's called Boundless Life, which I'm about 200 pages from the ending. Um, yeah, so join us next week for Simon. Uh, we'll also be talking about adventure racing, which is similar to a 200-mile race in the fact that it's like a multi-day kind of event. Um, the difference being, instead of just hike or instead of just running or hiking, you are doing kind of a combination of mountain biking, canoeing, rafting. Um, and instead of a set course, you're doing orienteering where you're, you're trying to figure out the best way to get to each checkpoint. So yeah, that'll be next week. Um, until then, guys, go out and do some fun stuff outside. I'm super pumped. I'm going to Raleigh, North Carolina today. Um, 
because we have to go, me and my wife have to go to a wedding, and my wife's in the wedding, which means she has a giant itinerary, like a book almost, of things she needs to go to. I don't have jack to do, so I'm going to be driving about an hour north to Danville, Virginia, where we lived for three years, and I'm going to run on my favorite trails. In fact, they're the trails that introduced me to trail running, which is this little tiny park in Danville called Anglers Park, where there's about 35 miles of single track, and... Yeah, it's where I fell in love with the sport. Get spider webs in your face, jump over some copperheads. It's going to be a good time. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'll definitely let you guys know how that trip how that trip went for us. So anyways, enough of me yammering on. I hope you all have a good week. And we'll, uh, we'll get back at you next week.